Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. The second service is always easier because you don't feel like you've got a turbo teeth all the way through to get everything done on time, so I'll try to speak a little slower. My wife hasn't spoken to me for three years. She didn't want to interrupt me, so, you know, I do, I do talk a lot, but uh, the jokes never get better. As you get older, you know, you uh, can tell the same jokes because they're dad jokes and you have a bit of dementia, so you can't remember whether you told it last time and people laugh out of respect, so, no, but... Um, I can't tell you how much I'm excited to be here because I'm not just here doing a gig, but we're here doing life together and doing God together and the body of Christ is an amazing family. You know, I was uh, preaching for a friend of mine in a country town in Adelaide called Murray Bridge not that long ago and they're having a revival amongst Indigenous people and so young people are coming in. It's just been fantastic. And, uh, you know, they've had a young girl come into the church who she actually committed murder at the age of 11 because of the occult. She was in the occult and she snapped and, and she's come out of prison and she's still young now and uh, found Christ. And, you know, they're the kind of things, the trophies of God's grace, you know. And so for me, there's only one church. It's God's church. And uh, when you get together, it's not doing church. It's doing life together. And I was preaching at this church, and during the worship, and you guys have got great worship, and uh, just congratulations. It starts from the top. I've never seen such a passionate pastor. We get in the car to drive to church. Most pastors that pick me up to drive me to church just want to talk about mundane stuff. We get in the car, he starts praying, speaking in tongues, and you just get swept up in it. Thank you for being you guys, and uh, you see that passion in the church. It's not fanaticism. It's a love for Jesus, and I'm in this church watching this miracle of God happening in a town where, you know, people think well, it only happens in the big cities, you know, and they've got over 450 people now attending this church, and 200 of them are the youth that have come in, and I'm getting to speak. Grandpastor is getting to speak to the, to the young people, and Sunday morning, we're in church, and I see a picture in my mind of me actually driving up to the church. Like I'm seeing a picture. I'm already in church in worship. And as I'm pulling up with a picture in my mind to the church, I saw a big H on the front of the church. And I thought, oh, what's that? And I said, Lord, what's that? He said, the church needs to be a hospital. The church needs to be a hospital that heals the broken inside the church and the broken outside the church. Sometimes we think the broken are outside the church and all the good people are inside the church, but sometimes the broken are even more broken in the church than outside the church, and we're called to be a hospital for the broken. In the middle of worship, then I saw another picture, and there were two buildings on the property and a big gap in the middle. And the gap in the middle, I saw all these new houses going up like a new estate. And I thought, what's that, Lord? And this is all in, in the worship. When God is in the worship, the prophetic flows. And I saw this picture and God said, I want the church to be a community where people connect. It's not just a hospital where people are cared for. It's a community where people connect. But I wasn't ready for the last picture. As I'm driving to the back of the, one of the buildings to park my car, I saw this massive army barracks. And I said, Lord, what's that? He said, my church has to be an army with a cause. Because if it doesn't have an army with a cause, you know, all the care and all the connection won't keep people in church long term. Yeah. 
You've got to have a cause. You've got to have a cause that God's brought us together for. And so we come together and we care like a hospital. We connect like a community, but we're an army with a cause. And if we have the balance of those three things, amazing things can happen. Because friends, life doesn't always go to plan. When God called me into the ministry, it was so, so powerful. It was so, so supernatural that my wife and I could not deny that it was God. And he gave us many promises. And those promises, 40 years down the track, have all come to pass. I shared this with the leader. But he never told me that one of my children would have such a massive breakdown that the whole nation would know about it. It would go all over the world and I would be on the front page of newspapers for 14 days straight. We couldn't leave our home as the newspapers of this country lied about our family, didn't tell the truth and we thought we never booked in for this. We didn't know this was going to happen, but it did. And so God knew when he called us that we would be going through some pretty yucky stuff and yet he knew that we would survive it and come out the other end, not bitter but better praising God he didn't tell me that one of my kids was going to get killed and today I'm going to tell you the story of how we've had to navigate the loss of our son Chris we haven't lost him he's very much alive in heaven today but our son Chris 39 years ago uh, 39 years ago was born but 39 years of age was killed by a lightning strike two years ago on the 22nd of January my heart is broken I walk with a limp, but I'm not preaching to kill the pain. I'm preaching because the God who called me is the same God that sustains me and keeps me going through every season, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And um, kneeling by my bed one day, just saying, God, I'm in so much pain, and this hurts so much, but I trust you. I trust you, God, even though I don't understand. I trust you. And I heard the voice of God speak back to me and saying, and I trust you. And I thought, wow, God, you trust me. Trust me with what? And I just felt God say, I know you won't walk away from me no matter what. Because I remember when I gave my life to Christ in a little Italian church at the age of 11 in a boring prayer meeting full of old people that were all about 30 years of age. I was 11. <laughs> My dad was the pastor and everybody was old. When you're 11, man, look at a man like me. They think I'm Father Christmas. I mean, you know, you know uh, the ancient of days. And so, you know, um, but I was only 11 and I had an encounter with Jesus. I, I was born again and, uh, and I knew Jesus for real. And so I'm, I'm saying, God, what do you trust me with? He said, I trust you to never, ever walk away from the fact that you know who I am. You see, we don't come to Jesus because of what he does. We come to Jesus because of what he did on the cross. Therefore, no matter what else happens in our life, we follow him for who he is, not for what he does. I don't follow Jesus because of what he does. I follow him because he's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. Tonight, I'm going to speak. When you uncover who deity is, you'll find your identity. Australia can change all the laws on marriage equality, can change all the laws they want to change. People are not going to find their identity through sexuality. People are going to find their identity by discovering who deity is. And tonight we're going to unpack that in Jesus' name. But on Friday the 22nd of January 2016, our lives were changed forever. We received a phone call that turned our lives totally upside down. I was sitting in the lounge room or the family area of our home and I was finalising a message on church together. 
I was going to meet with churches from all over South Australia, all different abominations, I mean denominations, and we were all coming together because there's only one church, guys. And sometimes we can get all, all carried away about our corner. God puts us in our corners, but we all belong to a bigger picture, the kingdom of God. And so I, I've been called by God to be a binder together of the different denominations. God's asked me to operate in a new role where we work with all different denominations around the world and around Australia. Even had a phone call not that long ago that the Catholic Archbishop of South Australia wants to meet with me to have a conversation on why people like us get young people to find God. And so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward for that appointment. But, uh, you know, God's opened up a door for me now to counsel non-Christians on a regular basis. And so I spent a lot of time speaking to the community. So I was preparing a message to stir our city, a message that had been put in my heart, I believe, from God. And in the middle of this preparation, we get a phone call. The phone call is that our son was struck by a lightning strike in the Adelaide Hills on the fields of a place called Mount Barker, where they were having a youth camp. Our two eldest grandkids, one was 14, the other one was 11, were there with dad while they were gathering young people off the field to come inside because of the bad weather. And while our son was doing this, he got instantly killed by a lightning strike that hit our city. I can't begin to tell you what day that was for my wife and I. We had to get in our car and we had to drive to this hospital which was 50 minutes away from our house and his two younger grandkids were sitting in the back seat. We were looking after them for a few days while the parents were at camp. And we're driving to the hospital with two grandkids in the back seat saying, is daddy going to be okay? Is daddy going to be okay? And they are crying and I know my son has passed away. I just knew. It was the darkest days. It was the day. It was the longest drive I've ever gone on. And we arrived at the hospital. When I got out the car, my legs turned to jelly and I felt I could hardly walk with the pain and the uh, sense of uh, absolute anguish of this can't be right. This cannot be right. And so, you know, I'm supposed to preach tonight at this big event and now two o'clock in the afternoon, your whole life is completely changed. And we walked into the hospital and there were two ladies waiting for us. They were nurses. They took us into a room to prepare us for what we were about to see, which uh, our son had been burnt right down one side of his body. Uh, it was just constant, instant electricity that burnt a lot of his body. And we, we were going to have to watch his body, look at his body. And so they knew this was going to be very, very shocking. And so they laid hands on us. Two nurses didn't know us, didn't know I was a pastor and just started praying for us. And I realized it really does get up my nose. And, and I am Italian and I've got a big one. You know, so, you know, uh, Italians have big noses. You know, they're, they're not nostrils. Uh, they're not sunglasses. They're my nostrils. So, anyway. Um, so, you, what really gets up my nose is Christians that want platforms. When God gives us all a platform where we can minister for him. Two ladies that turned their nursing into a ministry. They didn't just do nursing. They saw it as an opportunity to represent Jesus. And here they are praying for our family, not knowing who we are, praying for God's strength, because ministry is not a platform. Ministry is what we are, who we are in God. And these two ladies that I've never seen again prayed for our family, for God to give us strength. I can't begin to tell you how much the presence of God was there, but the pain was there just as much. 
It's like, you know, you couldn't separate the two. I knew that I could trust God. I knew that I was going to eventually work it out. But I just had this pain that is so deep. And my wife, our other son, Michael, who's been restored by God after lots of brokenness, goes and lays on his body. And he's starting to pray over that body. And, and I'm watching all this happening. And I'm going, God, what's happening here? You know, this just doesn't make sense. Why is he gone so young? Only 39 years of age. And so that day, my life, I felt, had come to the end. I felt I could never preach again. I felt I could never represent Jesus. I felt I couldn't pray for the sick. I just did not understand. And for about six weeks... For about six weeks, all I could do was sit in a chair and cry. Sit in a chair and hope to die myself. The pain was so, uh, so deep because of a, a deep relationship that had grown between us over a short period of time after a restoration, after we'd had a bit of conflict. And so, you know, all of a sudden our family's moving in the right direction and here we are, this great shock of Chris's death. And I remember just sitting there for six weeks, just not, couldn't open my Bible. I'm going to be, can I be that open with you? I couldn't open my Bible. I couldn't pray because I just didn't know. What about if I open my Bible and it says, you know, you're my protector and under your wings I am sheltered and, and why did my son die? It didn't help that Christians who don't know their Bibles uh, should really keep their mouth shut in times like this and not say things that add to the problem. And so people would come up and go, Pastor Danny, God loved your son so much, he created the lightning strike to take him home. You think, how's that going to help me right now? Oh, Pastor Danny, my son came to your son's funeral and he's been away from God. He's been backslidden and God allowed your, this is the exact words, God allowed your son to die so my son could come to his funeral and find Christ and be born again. So God killed my son. So your son, uh, God did kill a son. His name was Jesus on a cross 2,000 years ago so her son could live. But she's telling me my son came to Christ because your son died. Now, I can understand a son coming to Christ through someone else dying at a funeral, and maybe that's what she meant. Can I be honest? I didn't get that upset because I knew their heart was right. I didn't get reactive, but I got scared. I'm thinking, people don't know. Someone came up to me and said, you know, Pastor Danny, God showed me that they, the devil tried to kill your son, Michael, and when he couldn't get to Michael, he killed Chris. Honestly, this is recorded today. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. So I'm sitting there thinking, God, we need to get our theology right. We need to understand that we don't live for eternity. We live from eternity. And if we do our Christianity only based on a few years down here on earth, we are all going to be disappointed because when is it the right time to go? We are not meant to stay here forever. We are on a journey. We are passing through and we have a home and this is not our home. We are on colony earth, but we are citizens of heaven. But having said that, I was really messed up. I didn't know what to do. And for the first few weeks, and I want to say this today because I want to give people permission to allow yourself to have times when you don't understand, you can't work it out, and all you can do is just sit there. And so what I did was I sat there, but one of our pastors turned up at my house. His name is Matt Stevenson, a beautiful Bible scholar, great teacher in our church. And he says, Pastor Danny, I can't tell you how 
to go through this. I don't even begin to understand the pain that you're going through. But what I did for you, what a beautiful thing. He says, I went and found a theologian. His name is Nicholas Walterstorff. If you've been through loss, you need to buy the book. You'll read it in two nights called Lament for a Son. Lament for a Son, Nicholas Walterstorff, who lost his son in a mountain climbing accident uh, 10 years ago. He's a Bible theologian, and when you read his material, you can't understand what he's talking about. That's how deep he is. But in losing his son, he's written a book everybody can understand because all it is is his 10-year journal of how he's navigated, the, the, the time when he had to go and see the body for the furthest, first time. There's pictures in my mind that will never be erased. The day when my grandchildren had to walk one at a time up to the coffin and say goodbye to their dad. And those pictures will never leave my mind and, and, and they are deeply rooted inside of me as, as experiences that I can turn around to help others who are hurting because I understand the pain. So he said to me, Pastor Danny, when you read this book, I think you'll understand because this man understands. So even though I wasn't reading my Bible because I was too afraid, I wanted to read somebody else's story that had survived something like this. And so I started to read, and this is what I read, some of it, just little bits and pieces. The pain of the no more outweighs the gratitude of the once was. Will it always be so? I didn't know how much I loved him. Until he was gone, is life like that? When we're all together, we're not all together. Job chapter 7 verse 9 to 10 says, He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. I'll never forget the first day my daughter-in-law turns up at our house without her husband. The first time we celebrated his birthday, but he wasn't there. The first time we had Christmas as a family without him there. The, all those firsts that happen and so I'm reading this and I understand and as I'm continuing to read the book I read things like this it's hard to bury a child because our parents belong to our past but our kids belong to our future I had no idea that after my son passed away I would end up praying for over 2,000 people that have lost their kids around the world in one church in South Africa one night over 300 people that I prayed for in a church of 14,000 people, but we had to close the service and then for three hours or whatever time, I can't fully remember the exact time, we're just praying one at a time, one at a time, one story after another. Do you know how many people have been told that if they'd had more faith, their child wouldn't have died? And some of the stuff in the midst of their pain that people had been told, just like Job's friends. The best thing Job's friends did was show up the worst thing they did was open their mouth. And so, you know, they should have, they should have just sat there with Job and not try. Why do we have to always try to work it out? If we can work out the God of the universe, he's no longer the God of the universe. If he's that big and he's created the universe, there's no way we're going to understand all of his doing. But there's enough understanding so we don't live blindly and we live by an incredible walk with God, which I'm going to unpack very quickly. But does enduring my crying not require as much strength as never crying? We don't need to mask our suffering. And this is the part. I'm Italian. I cry a lot any, anyway. And this is the part that set me free. Did you know that in Western Australia, the funeral parlours of Western Australia, I was reading a newspaper article just recently, have come to discover that because we tell people that you're a big person now, don't cry, you're grown up, grown up, men don't cry in Australia, 
What's happened is when people die, people get to celebrate the life of the person that passed away, but they don't get to mourn or grieve because they're not allowed to cry. And weeks after the funeral, anger rises up and people start smashing things, going off, getting angry, family splits, and all sorts of stuff happen. And this is what the article said. There's only one group of people in the entire nation of Australia that know how to grieve properly, and that's the born-again Christians. This was a newspaper clinic because they grieve, but they have hope. And so they grieve with hope. Isn't that amazing? And I want to tell you, friends, I'm grieving. It's actually worse now because two years after he's passed, his son now looks exactly like him and he's just turned 16. When my son passed away, it's like he was the, the look that his father remembered. But now two years have passed and the kids, his daughter has become a teenager and, and everything's changed in our family. Can I tell you, when I sold my car, when he passed away, because I had a little car and I needed to get a bigger car so I can pick my grandkids up from school, I fell apart thinking, how can I enjoy myself when he's not here? How can I buy something he's never going to see? And it's like your whole life freezes and you think am I allowed to laugh again am I allowed to smile and so I'm going through this ongoing pain my wife is going through it in a different way they took six t-shirts that my son wore and they turned them into pillowcases and gave them to my wife and I so we can hold on to them I can't hold one without losing it my wife will hold it and worship God and listen to him preaching on podcasts we just she's Australian I'm Italian we do things differently we're shaped differently in our emotions and yet you know um, <clears throat> I read in this book does enduring while crying not require as much strength as never crying we don't need to mask our suffering I shall look at the world through tears perhaps I shall see things that dried eyed I could not see and so what happened was during this time of sitting and feeling quite Guilty, I guess, because I'm the preacher. I'm the guy that goes around praying for everybody else. And I'm thinking, uh, was what I've always done real? Is God really real? Was I faking it? Uh, was I preaching and not meaning what I was preaching? And your mind is just going. And then one day I go to the letterbox and there's a book in my letterbox sent by a guy in Queensland called Grieving Up. Uh, and his name is David. I've just got his name written down. I keep forgetting his name. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But David Schaefer, that's right, David Schaefer. And so David um, tells, writes a book about grieving. And he tells his story in the book how within a two-year period, he lost his wife and his daughter. And so his daughter died on the operating table while they are filming for RPA. She was going to have an organ transplant and the organ transplant went well, but she got an infection in the theatre and died because of the infection. And then his wife dies and he's a healing evangelist. And so he's at a place like I was. What do I do? How do I pray for the sick when my wife wasn't healed? And so on. And one night they asked him to come to a crusade or, or a pastor's conference on the Gold Coast. I happened to be the speaker. He didn't know me. And that night, I preached on the stretcher. It was a summary of a series of messages I'd been doing in our church called the stretcher series. And in Mark chapter 2, there's a story of a crippled man being taken on a stretcher to the feet of Jesus. And the Lord had been showing me that we have crippled people in church. We have crippled people outside of church. And there are four kinds of people in the church. That There are those, number one, that never want to get on the stretcher. They are the Christians that live in denial. 
their marriage is about to hit the wall, life really sucketh, uh, that's in the Old Testament version, and, and they come to church, they come to church and they pretend everything's good, hallelujah, praise God, and they go home and all hell breaks loose. And we've tried in the past to make people pretend everything's okay by just praising Jesus, where's your faith? And so there's those kind of people that live in denial, they never get on the stretcher. There are some people in the church, they never want to get off. They want you to carry them. Do you know some of the people that have left our church over the years are the people we gave the most pastoral food parcels to. We even paid mortgage payments for a family so they wouldn't lose their house and they left our church saying our church didn't care for them in our time of need. So there are some people that don't want God to help them. They want the people in the church to be there because they want flesh and blood they can touch to help them in their time of need. And when you are removed, there was a young lady in my youth years ago who was involved in the occult she came to Christ her mother was a witch and what happened was she used to slash her wrist to get my attention every Saturday night at youth she'd be the last one to leave and I would sit at the edge of the platform and speak with her because she would create problems to get my attention so wanted a dad she said to me one day my mum said to me you are a fat slob this is what her mother said to her daughter and I know the devil's inside of you and so you can imagine what kind of life this girl was having and she ended up proving her mother right in some areas by going and doing things to spite her mother. And so she every week would come and sit at the edge of the platform with another crisis. I used to see her coming and I go, oh, Jesus, here we go again, you know. She's going to keep me for hours and she did, but I always made time with her. But one day she went to slash her wrist and she just went a little bit too far and I got a phone call in the afternoon and by the time we got to the hospital, she passed away. Some people never want to get off a stretcher because they feel safer in your hands than in a God they can't see. And so that's really sad. Some people don't get off the stretcher. Some people only want to carry stretchers. Do you know some people want a leadership title because if I'm a leader, then you're not going to see my brokenness. And let me tell you, the greatest gift I can give my church is my personal wholeness. That's the greatest gift I can give my church. Not perfection, but going in the right direction. Why I'm telling you about my pain is not that you feel sorry for me, but it identifies with your pain. And we can actually carry each other and encourage each other. And so then there are people that understand Jesus died on the cross so that we would not be on a stretcher for 70% of our life. But there are seasons when we need one. And you know what happened in our church? I said to church, God's goal for your life is that you walk in victory and that you carry others and that we carry the, the community. However, don't live a lie. And if you're in our church and you love Jesus and you go through pain, whether you're in leadership, whether you are a pastor on our team, say, Pastor Danny, I need a stretcher. I need a stretcher. I remember the first time I was asked to speak at Hillsong Conference. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. I get to speak at Hillsong Conference. And I got so sick. And I just finished my stretcher series. And my eldership turned up at my house. And they turned up at my house. And they said, you're not going to Hillsong. I said, I, I am. I am. This is my first chance. Pastor Danny, you're not going to Hillsong. We have made a decision. And you're not going to Hillsong Conference. And I go, but I want to. And this is no, 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 no choice. You're not going because you need a stretcher. You've been preaching to us about the stretcher. 
Now you need a stretcher, Pastor Danny, and we need to carry you. Well, Pastor Brian sent me all the recordings of all the sessions. I ended up in hospital for 14 days, just as well I didn't go. But I'm glad that a spirit began to develop in our church, that if you need a stretcher, you're not a loser. If you need a stretcher, you're not someone that's making mistakes in your life or God's punishing you. Sometimes we all need a stretcher. And so he writes me this book and he says, Pastor Danny, when you get to chapter 2, you'll see your story there. Because I came into the meeting where you were preaching on the stretcher and realized as an evangelist that's lost a wife and a daughter and I'm a healing evangelist, I needed a stretcher. And so I asked for a stretcher. God healed me. I got off the stretcher. Today I have a new family. He's remarried with little kids as well. And he's still preaching the gospel. And he said, Pastor Danny, you need to listen to your own sermon. And he sent me the book. So even though... I couldn't pray or read. God, the Holy Spirit, brought the right people around me. You know, people that knock church and people that get offended with church don't realize the power of the church when it's built properly. When we build the church according to God's pattern, it becomes the greatest family that we can be in that can carry us. I've been through a broken son uh, and now one who's passed away. And at his funeral, you know what really freaked me out at our son's funeral? It was the biggest funeral in the history of South Australia that we know. There's been no bigger funeral. And what happened, it was in four locations via live streaming. And so I walk into the building and there's all the different denominations there. There's people that are my friends that don't like each other. There's people that had left our church and came back. And I'm looking across the audience at my son's funeral and I'm watching what the body of Christ could be like. I'm watching what it should be like. And I'm watching people sitting next to each other that don't really like each other. Even members of parliament on both sides of the fence. And they're all at the funeral. And on the way home, there's a couple of things that happened to me on the way home from the funeral. On the way home from the funeral, my heart broke, falling apart, because I realized I had a congregation that had been through every experience with me. You know, people that had stayed with me through thick and thin. When our son Michael hit the wall through his brokenness, that people didn't walk but held our hands and said, we're here, we're going to fight this together. So they were there when my kids got married. They were there when my kids, they were there in every stage. And here they are now, this kid that they came to the wedding to, now they're at his funeral. And so I'm feeling the pain that I've caused to my church. I'm going, God, this is my family. And boy, have they been through some stuff with me. And so I'm feeling that pain. But the other pain was, why did I for the body of Christ to come together? And I said, God, I'm going to give myself to bringing the body of Christ together while I'm alive, not when someone dies, because Jesus died for us to come together. And so what happened was I started to move from a place of sitting where others carried me when I couldn't read the Bible and I couldn't pray. And then one day I said, God, now that I think about things with a little bit less emotional pain, You were there when that happened. You were there when the call of God came on my life. You were there when you supernaturally gave us a building. You were there and throw all the things that I know you've done because of one thing that I don't understand. It's a biggie, but I can't 
walk away from God because of all that I know to be absolutely him over one thing I don't understand. And this is what came out of my mouth. I said, God, I'm going to trust your sovereignty when I don't have clarity. I'm going to trust your sovereignty when I don't have clarity. But I said, Lord, I hope you don't mind. It's a little bit cheeky, but I'm going to go back to the Bible again because I've always led by revelation. I've never led by information. If I don't get revelation, I'm, I'm gone. And so I said, God, I'm going to go back to the Bible. And I said, God, I'm going to go to Psalm 39 and I'm going to read Psalm 39. And this is what it says. Can you believe it in verse 4? Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Ladies and gentlemen, this message is very different to the first one. I'm going in a slightly different direction. But I want, to, want the guys to put up on the screen the last sermon that my son was going to preach. That is the notes found on the front seat of his car. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he was killed. That night, he was supposed to preach. We believe, because he'd be, his wife you know, is aware of how he prepares notes and stuff, this was on the front seat of the car the day that he passed away, and you won't be able to read it from me, you are, but it says, it's dark out there, you know, what are you going to do, you know, uh, what's going to get in your way, uh, you know, uh, where is God, you know, it is dark, don't be discouraged, realise he knows your name, and fix your eyes on eternity. They were the last words my son ever penned, but his life message was always on eternity. Chris always preached on live for eternity. I remember the amazing sermon he preached. You might have been at Edge Conference one time when I asked him to preach. And he preached from that passage of scripture. If the stones, if the, what is it, the stones don't praise me. If the rock, you remember that? If the rocks and stones don't praise me, then, uh, no, if you don't praise me, the rocks and stones will praise me. And so he did a message on if every rock in the Bible could speak, what would it say? Yeah. You remember that message? And he talked about the stone that was picked up to be thrown to a woman caught in adultery would say, I am the God that forgives and restores. To the stone that was rolled away in front of a tomb, he would say, that stone would say, he is the resurrection, the truth and the life. And, and Chris always preached from an eternal perspective. He dies at age 39. God gives me that psalm. And all of a sudden, the word starts to come alive again. And then in my Bible reading, I come across Deuteronomy 29 one morning, and it says, the Lord our God has seeked it's known to no one we're not accountable for them but we are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions and so ladies and gentlemen because of time running out I just want to say I literally went from a posture of sitting to standing again and I started to stand on what I knew about God, not what I didn't know about God. And there was too much to know about God to walk away and then number three I started singing again I'm going to write a book called Singing in the Pain. And, you know, in the pain, I would, I would be at the front row of the church. where I'd taken three months off. I wasn't preaching because of the pain. But I'm on the front row and I'm worshipping Jesus. And all I could see was the coffin. All I could see was the casket. And we're singing songs that he had, he had written some of them with other writers in the, in the church. And we're singing these songs. You know, and uh, my son now, uh, Michael, starts writing songs because of the funeral. You know, uh, you turn my mourning into, into joy. 
And I'm standing there worshipping God and it hurts like mad. And yet in the middle of all that, I know God is real. And I'm grateful for eternity. And I realise that we don't live for eternity. We live from eternity. And all of a sudden, it's like when you buy a yellow car, you notice every other yellow car on the road. I discovered every time the Apostle Paul addressed things in the New Testament, he addressed them from the context of eternity. In Philippians chapter 1, he's speaking to the Philippians and he goes, you two women that are fighting in the church, sort out your issues. And he names them. Yoda, she was some, you know, Star Wars person. Yoda and, and Sintichi. It mentions their name. Can you imagine Ross getting up and going, Mary and Tony, sort out your issue. We think, what a control freak. And yet the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians, he goes, because eternity's at stake, sort it out. And I started to discover all through the Bible that we live our Christian life not by the laws of this land on colony earth. We live our Christian life by our home, which is eternity, and we live by the rules of home, not by the rules of the colony that we're in called colony earth. I do sermons on that which I can't go in singing again because Jesus is still Lord. And so in the midst of my pain, when I'm about to get up and preach, and my little granddaughter's pulling my trousers, and she's going, no, no, why isn't daddy here? Why isn't daddy here? I'm about to get up and preach. And I'm thinking, wow, the pain of all that. And yet in the midst of that, Jesus is Lord. And our four grandkids, they all talk about Jesus now like you wouldn't believe. I got to baptise my 11-year-old grandson tonight. I'll show you the picture of that baptism. And I'll read you his revelation of Jesus that he got after his dad passed away. I was babysitting him not that long ago. And they have the prayer that their dad prayed over them before he, they went to sleep. And it's put in a picture frame. And they re he said, no, no, will you read the prayer to me that daddy used to read to me? Halfway through reading the prayer, I just lost it. He sits up in bed and starts rubbing my back. And he goes, don't cry, Nonna. Don't cry because heaven is our home. And we need to keep preaching the gospel. Little Elijah's just turned 11. I'm going to bring him with me on trips and I'm going to let him preach his story of the revelation he got from Jesus, which I'm going to show you tonight. But you see, you start to sing again. You say, sit, stand, sing, and last of all, serve. Because in 1 Corinthians, can I read it as we come to a close? I'm just going to read you a poem that my grandson wrote when his dad passed away. But in 1 Corinthians, this is either a lie or it's the truth, friends. Listen to this. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all we have, all that have died believing in Christ are lost. For this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But it says, if there will be no resurrection from the dead, and if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. And I, as a young boy, had a revelation of the resurrection. I don't become a pastor because of any other reason that God called me, but there is a resurrection. And because of the resurrection, I will always serve Jesus. Because of the resurrection, I will follow Him. I do live from eternity. Country and Western singer Loretta Lynn wrote a song, Everyone Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. She lost two kids and she wrote that song. There's a hymn that we all love to sing. 
Someone said one day, Christians don't tell lies. They just sing them in their songs. Whoa, that's a bit strong. There's a hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. Oh, I used to sing it as a kid, eh? Hillsong, I've turned it into a, a hymn and a modern song. But oh, in that little Italian church, singing it in Italian, I have decided to follow Jesus. The lyrics are based on the last words of a man in a Psalm Northeast India who along with his family was converted to Christianity in the middle of the 19th century through the efforts of a Welsh missionary. Called to renounce his faith by the village chief, the convert declared, I have decided to follow Jesus. In response to threats to his family, he continued, though none go with me, still I will follow. His wife was killed and he was executed while singing the cross before me, the world behind me. This display of faith is reported to have led to the conversion of the chief and others in the village. And the formation of these words became a hymn which was to follow Jesus, attributed to that Indian missionary called Sadhu Sunday Singh. Something's happened in the Western world. If Jesus doesn't give me what I want, I'm out of here. I'm glad my faith goes a bit deeper than that. I know a Jesus that can help me sing in the pain. But to have a 16-year-old grandson say, no, no, I want to become a youth pastor and finish the work my dad started. To have an 11-year-old grandson who I'll show you the baptism picture tonight. You'll see both of them. Write Write a revelation of Jesus that he received. Our grandson, 14, when his dad died, spoke at his dad's funeral. He's now shot up. He looks just like his dad. Wrote this poem to his dad. In fact, he did a podcast, a a, a, a post. Everyone who's looking at this post right now, I want to ask you a favour, please. Cherish your fathers, not just today, but every day. Don't take them for granted. Cherish every moment you spend with him. Make jokes, build Lego, read stories, watch movies. Do whatever you like to do with your dad because he won't always be there. I only had my dad for 14 years. He passed before he turned 40 and I wish I'd spent more time with him. I wish that I treasured him more. I wish he didn't go. I've written a poem for him and I'm sending it up to heaven for him to read. It's called My Father. It's about me having a conversation with my dad about him leaving us and going to heaven and I'd like you to read it. Please, my father, I beg you to stay. Don't worry, Zeke, we'll meet again someday. Help me, Father. I'm so upset. You were someone I'll never forget. Come, my father, we need you here. Don't worry, Zeke, I'm always... My father, why'd you go? God has his reasons, you'll never know. Dear my father, you're forever in my heart. From this day forward, we will never drift apart. Goodbye, my father, you were my own. It's okay, Zeke. Daddy's home. A 14-year-old writes a poem like that. And today, he wants to be a youth pastor. No blaming God. No pointing the finger at God. You know why? Because their daddy taught them about eternity. Their daddy taught those kids 
that Jesus was worth dying for. And now I have the blessing to not have to pick these kids up from drug addiction because they lost their dad or anger at God because their dad was taken. I've had to watch them navigate Father's Day while the church is celebrating dads and dad's not there. I've watched every journey because I'm up close and yet there's no bitterness but a desire to serve Jesus. And I'm so grateful today that He allows me to sit in my pain but I can stand in the knowledge of who God is. I can sing again and I can serve again and so can you. And so can you. Please don't blame God when things happen you don't understand. You're not a spiritual guinea pig he likes to experiment with. You are his child. We live on a fallen planet that is cursed. And the rain will fall on the just and the unjust. Christians do die of cancer and Christians get healed of cancer. While there is life, we will always pray for healing. While there is life, we will believe for miracles. I believe out of God's sovereignty, He's the God that created the universe. He can heal cancer. He can do anything. But there are times when God doesn't intervene and the world seems to have its way, but God doesn't make mistakes. And I know that my son lived for eternity. He said to me one day, Dad, I don't care if I live long. Can you believe that? He said, I just, life means nothing to me. I'm just totally whatever God wants. I don't know whether God was preparing him. I got no idea. But there are things God does on the planet. And when we make Christians who have lost loved ones at an early age feel guilty that they didn't have enough faith, shame on you. Don't play God. Don't play God. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and not pray for the sick. I will pray for every cancer situation. I will go to hospitals and pray for people. Two of my friends, their sons have committed suicide. Friends I went to school with, and I'm going back to Adelaide tomorrow for Tuesday night and Wednesday night to meet with guys I went to school with that I have not seen for 30 years. But now their kids have committed suicide and they want to talk to me because I understand the pain of losing a son. I will take my tears and I will use them as a river of refreshing for those that come after me. So please don't let this be a negative morning today. But I do want you to know that if God doesn't intervene the way you want, He will give you the strength to walk through. But my prayer is that He will heal. And in fact, if you need healing in your body today, stand to your feet right now. And we're going to shove that in the devil's pipe and tell him to smoke it. I want you to stand to your feet right now if you need healing in your body. And Father, I pray for these dear people today. You are the God of the universe, but you're the God that heals and restores. And Lord, I've prayed for people since our son passed and you've healed them. And I pray for these dear people with their hands raised to you that we won't walk out of here today discouraged, but encouraged that even if there are seasons where we sit and don't understand, we can always stand and stand on your promises and sing to the power of your name that you're still God and we will serve you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Lord, touch these people today in sickness. Bring healing, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I'm going to hand back to Pastor Ross. While every head's bowed, while you're just sitting there, just before I do, if you're here today and you're mad at God or you're disconnected, maybe you're mad at God and that's why you're disconnected. Maybe you're not a Christian yet because you don't know how to work God out.
but you're here for a reason and you feel disconnected. And all I want to do, because I would never abuse you by telling you something that isn't true, how terrible that would be. I'm going to pray that God will reveal Himself to you like He's done to me. I walk with Him today, not because of what's going right or wrong, but because He's right and He's the truth. And while your head's bowed today, if you're disconnected from God, you've never been connected to Him. Or you used to be connected, but you're not anymore. The issue is you're disconnected. All I'm going to do is pray that God will knock on your door and that you will open your heart and let Him have His way and respond to Him. And you could start a journey that you will never regret no matter what happens in your life. If you're disconnected from God today, I want to want you to slip up your hand and I'll pray. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm just going to pray. Is there anyone in the room today that says, Pastor Danny, pray for me. I'm disconnected from God right now. Is there anyone? I won't uh, take up too long. Okay, bless you. Bless you. There's no one today in this meeting. That's okay. What we're going to do is I'm going to hand back to Pastor Ross. But if you've had loss, maybe 50 years ago, 20 years ago, but you still carry that pain, I just want to give you a hug. I want to pray with you. I want the God that strengthened me to strengthen you. But after the meeting, when the church is dismissed, stay down the front. Because I don't want it just to be there, touch, bring, bless you and move on. Uh, other people are called to do that. I'm called to make a deeper connection with you because I want to feel your pain. I know you feel mine. We can hug each other and pray for each other. I'm getting letters from people all over the world saying at that moment when we hugged, something snapped and something happened. We'll do it after the meeting's closed so I don't have to feel rushed. And if you want to come down and get prayed for, I would love to meet with you. Love you guys. It's been a wonderful weekend with you and I'm looking forward to tonight. Love you. God bless you. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.